0: The Eco-Right Speaks podcast is your conservative home for weekly climate news, interviews, points of view, climate heroes, jesters, and so much more. We'll share the stories of people leading in their local communities and around the country. Welcome to the Eco-Right Speaks podcast. It's brought to you by RepublicEN.org. Hello, and welcome to the Eco-Right
1: Speaks your climate-focused podcast produced by the team at RepublicEN.org. I'm your host, Chelsea Henderson, and I'm embracing everything fall. Even though I still have my AC on, because let's be honest, it's still unbearably humid in the DC metro area, I find myself gravitating towards sweaters. And I had a maple latte the other day that I can't stop thinking about, even though I usually don't put any sweetener in my coffee. All right, enough about me and my love affair with fall. Today's guest is a legend in the eco-right world, even if he bristles against the term eco-right, which you will hear about in the show. Rob Sison has done it all. Former banker, former mayor of Sturgis, Michigan, hunter, angler, outdoor enthusiast, Montanan. For a significant period of time, Rob was at the helm of Republicans for Environmental Protection, the first center-right group to engage on issues like clean air and water. The group is now called Conserve America, and Rob is now a commissioner with the International Joint Commission, created by Canada and the U.S. to guide cooperation on the boundary waters that connect our two nations. I cannot think of a better job for Rob. Listeners, don't go away. Hold tight for my conversation with Rob Sison. listeners. I know I always say this, but I'm so excited today to have my dear friend Rob Sison on the show. Rob, thank you for joining us. I'm not even sure what state you're in. I just know that wherever you are, you're in a kind of a remote place.
2: Thanks, Chelsea. It's good to be with you too. Uh, I'm actually in Montana, Montana. which, um, you know, I'm I'm getting in the habit of doing land recognitions now. It's on the land of the Crow and Cheyenne and uh, pegan blackfeet um, and nezapierce people so it's beautiful i'm i'm in a uh, kind of a prairie between the crazy mountains we have sorka mountains at the top of paradise valley and it's just it's heaven on earth
1: so do you split your time between montana and michigan
2: i don't anymore i, I still consider myself a michigander slash montanan but um We're out here full-time now. We're
1: out there full-time. So Montana, in my mind, I've only been once, but beautiful place, rich with any possible outdoor activity you could want to participate in. So I thought that might be kind of a nice segue to just talk. We haven't had anyone on the show really speak about climate change and protecting the environment conservation from the angle of somebody who loves the outdoors. So a hunter, an angler, any other type of outdoor sportsman. And oftentimes these folks skew conservative. So I thought you could just take a moment, kind of fill you, check all those boxes to talk about what land protection conservation means to you.
2: Yeah, and it's that's actually a timely question. Last weekend, I, w- I went over to South Dakota to meet one of my colleagues and to uh, hunt grouse. And there has been a very uh, horrible drought in most of the Western states this year. And uh, we were hunting in and around the uh, Grand River National Grasslands, which is this just magnificent rolling prairie with buttes all over the place and you know because of the emergency orders that uh, the federal government and state governments have done um, uh, some of these preserved lands have been hayed off this year to ensure we can feed our livestock or livestock have been grazed on it and you saw firsthand the impacts on wildlife habitat uh, that the drought has driven and now you I know your listeners have probably had this drilled into their heads. You can't, you, you can't assume this year's drought is directly related to climate change. But when you look at all the trends and uh, how, how bad it was this year, um, uh, you can posit that climate change has had a re- very real impact this year there. Back here in Montana uh, this summer, I mean, I live in arguably the number one trout fishing region in the entire world. Uh, people come out here and spend all sorts of money and taking uh, guided boat trips on the Yellowstone, Madison, Gallatin rivers, locals, fish, all sorts of spring creeks and, and other uh, bodies of water that we don't want to tell the outside world about.
1: <laughs> but, I don't blame you.
2: <laughs> <laughs> but the um, the state this year had to shut down fishing, lock, stock and barrel in a number of the rivers and institute what they call hood regulations because the water just gets too warm during the day and if anglers are out there fishing it um can kill the fish that are caught the the stress on them is just it's not good so and that happened that's been happening year after year again and and we've watched the thermometer and the the average temperature for every year and see that every succeeding year is now the hottest year on record and it's easy to connect that to climate change as well um we're seeing migration of flora in the forest. uh, Things moving to higher elevations. Um, I know my wife and I try to take hikes about every day with our two dogs to get them exercise. And one of my favorite animals out here is the pika, a little tiny rodent that lives in rockfall areas. It, It collects hay during the summer and then eats that lives off the hay in the in the wintertime. The cutest little animals that chirp at you they have this very small band of um, temperature that they can survive in. And so they're migrating up the mountains a little bit as well. And, um, you know, at some point they're going to get to the top of the mountain, have no no further way to climb and, and get in the, into where they need to be. And of course, I think one of the stories that a lot of conservationists around here are aware of and, and nationally, it's the uh, grizzly bear and white bark pine, white bark pine. White bark pine live at high elevations. They produce a very nutritious nut that grizzly bears feast on this time of year uh, to get ready for hibernation. And those trees are are dying off because of climate change as well. They they can't adapt and they can't pick up their roots and move uphill. You know it's it's been a long time. I think um, early in our friendship, there was a series of events in West Michigan because the weather was just too doggone warm. At the wrong time of the year, um, and a, um, uh, the deer herd in West Michigan suffered what they call blue tongue disease. It's carried by a little tiny flea that normally would get killed off with frost and snow, but didn't. And uh, the deer herd was decimated. You you can see these signs, and the thing about anglers and hunters are like farmers; they're out and about in the environment, and they they see this from season to season, year to year, and they. know and recognize that something uh, very bad is going on in our environment
1: i believe that blue tongue disease story is one that you might have swapped with uh, my old boss senator warner at an event we did with you in michigan where he talked about the um pine beetle in idaho decimating the forest there and going back after you know having been there 50 years prior as a line jumper or whatever they call the people, the firefighters, the forest firefighters. Smoke jumper. Yes, smoke jumper. As a young man, he did that before he went to World War II because his, in, in his parlance, his old man told him he had to get a real man's job before he went to war. So he went and did that and then went back to Idaho many years later, you know, decades later and the forest was gone. And so I don't know if this sounds familiar to you at all, but I do know, remember we had that event in Michigan with you.
2: Yeah. Hi. Well, you're... you know, yeah, I, exactly. Um, and and for your listeners, the, there are female smoke jumpers now too, so it's a badass yes, job for yes. everybody. It's a badass job
1: for everybody. Absolutely.
2: Yeah. <laughs> um yeah, you know, one of the problems in in Michigan, the Great Lakes states is climate change has changed the temperature of Lake Michigan. Lake Mi- and I don't think people outside of maybe Michigan or Great Lakes researchers know this, but Lake Michigan historically stays, it helps warm Michigan during the fall and prevents early frost. So along the west coast of Michigan, uh, it's orchard country. There are orchards planted from Traverse City all the way down to Indiana. There are vineyards, uh, Concord grape juice. It's one of the big production areas and the reason that those crops have done so well historically is because Lake Michigan prevents early frosts, and then uh, in the springtime of the year when it's really cold water it prevents the cold air moves across the lake and keeps trees and fruit plants from budding out too early and getting hit by a late frost. Unfortunately because Lake Michigan's been so warm that regulatory system natural regulatory system has been messed up and Uh, almost every year since I've been involved in this, there's been a catastrophic crop failure of one fruit or grape or another.
1: And it's those trends that we look at, right? And you pinpointed it earlier, and listeners have heard this before, that there is a difference between weather and climate. We had a meteorologist on early in season two who said he made the analogy that If you're looking at football, for example, weather is like one play, one down in the game, and climate is like the history of the NFL. But when you see the trends, so year after year, we're breaking heat records, we're seeing temperatures go up. And then the other thing I would just point out is that when we talk about the... Temperature changes it doesn't have to be a 10 degree change think about your own body if you know we run at what 98.6 but if you have a fever of 99 you kind of feel happy right you feel achy and that's four tenths above what normal is so even small changes in average temperature can have big impacts on the on the land around us the same way that they would in our own body
2: yeah that's right and The impacts on natural systems are difficult to see, except for on a larger, uh, even outside of a regional scale. And my my current position with the International Joint Commission, we're watching this with the boundary water systems all the way across the U.S.-Canada transboundary. How these small changes in climate are changing the levels and flows of waters that we share with our neighbors to the north. Um, and that's impacting water quality, that's impacting aquatic life, um, and it, it could come, it, it, if it gets worse enough, it could, it could impact domestic use of the water.
1: Rob, how did you first get engaged in issues around the environment and conservation?
2: Um, gosh, I grew up uh, living in about a 20-acre woodlot and just roamed and camped and hiked and and hunted and uh, although not very successfully, um, but I grew up with that. My my dad uh, was a hunter. My grandparents were hunters and, and anglers, and I just, you know, followed the the family culture and and got into it. As a young adult working in the banking industry in West Michigan, I got involved in Republican politics because that's what bankers do. <laughs> and I was really dismayed at kind of the direction the party was going uh, in terms of conservation, and I. Theodore Roosevelt is a huge hero of mine. I have bookshelves of uh, books written by him and of, about him. And I, I, at one point, I, I must have been in my mid-30s, early 30s, I thought, you know what, I'm going to start a, a bull moose Republican club or something and, and start trying to talk this back up. And I just happened to see in the newspaper an article about this group called Republicans for Environmental Protection. I said, well, someone's already done it. So I looked them up and sent a $15 dues check in. And uh, about two weeks later, the founder of the organization, a woman named Martha Marks, called me and said, hey, would you like to get involved in our Michigan chapter? And I did. Um, But I think the real jumping off point where I, I went in heart, mind, and soul was when I became uh, mayor of my hometown of Sturgis, Michigan. Um, suddenly as an elected Republican who cares about these things, you become the token that everyone wants to pull into the room and showcase and say, see, see, see. And that's how I, that's how I first uh, met Bob Inglis. And, um, um, I was roped into speaking at the first national climate crisis day, I think was in 2007. And I was at that time, the only elected Republican that spoke at that event. Um, wow. Senator yeah. Kerry, Senator Lieberman, Senator Boxer, Representative Markey at that time all spoke. And, uh, I had my little 15 minutes of fame because I was, you know, he's, look, he's a Republican. <laughs> um, and, uh, and then fast forward a few years, I think it was, well, no, it was about 2007 or so. Um, Martha Marks called and said, Hey, would you be interested in coming to work for us?" And I said, heck yeah. So I did. I jumped in and, and went to work for them and then succeeded Martha when she retired uh, 2009, 2010
1: era. And now Republicans for environmental protection is conserve America for those who are Googling it and trying to join. Correct.
2: Correct. Yep. Yep. Yeah. It, it Consumer America is now run by uh, a cadre of people who have experience in government at EPA, Department of Energy, um, on the Hill. And I think one of, you know, they're they're working, I think, hand in glove with so many of the other organizations right of center now, trying to find the pragmatic, common sense ways to approach climate change and clean energy and conservation uh, in general. It's interesting, before the podcast started, you and I talked about Sherry Bollard, who passed away this week, a congressman from upstate New York. Sherry was the epitome of kind of the old Rockefeller Roosevelt Republican who deeply cared about conservation, and he made it one of his uh, public service passions and one of his private passions, and he was a dear friend of America's the whole way. I remember, I think Bob Inglis was still in Congress, but I, I received Received a phone call from um, a congressman in Pennsylvania who said, "You don't know me, but um, someone told me I need to talk to you. Can you come in and, and meet with a group of us Republicans?" So I, I went into D.C. Um, Sherry had retired, so Sherry was there. Uh, uh, sent the uh, Senator Castle from Delaware, who had just lost his primary, was there, and I think we had a room of about ten people. And they said, "We need. We're looking for." Conserve America to start up or facilitate a conservation caucus for us on the Hill. Sherry was right behind it. He was pushing it, pushing it and trying to help me find money. We just couldn't find funding. Just before I left Conservative America to join um, the federal government, uh, a couple of funders stepped up and Conservative America now is kind of facilitates and helps manage the Roosevelt Conservation Caucus, which I think is a huge, huge deal for anyone who cares about things we care about we're
0: energy optimists and climate realists stand with us at republicen.org now back to this week's episode
1: yes um congressman bowler was definitely somebody who touched my life as well in his dual roles on the science committee which is a place where he influenced bob inglis significantly begging him to go on this trip to greenland which um i'll have to have bob do a reflection on that at some point but um you know i was on the environment and public works committee at the time and uh, mr bollett was also on the transportation and Inf- infrastructure committee which um we shared a lot of jurisdiction over a lot of issues including water and army corps stuff that i was doing at the time so i worked with him and his staff on a lot of issues and they definitely don't make that anymore um so sad, sad to lose him this week. You and I, not to not to go down the death um, path, but we also I think both shared a friendship with Adam Colton, who we lost earlier this year, mm-hmm. National Wildlife Federation. So it's kind of been a tough year, tough year.
2: Yeah, Adam's passing uh, hit me relative uh, hit me fairly hard because uh, he had taken over the reins of the Alaska Wilderness League and the International Joint Commission has an interest in the boundary waters that he was working to protect so so um, passionately up there. And he and I had talked several times uh, in the last year of his life um, about some of these issues. Um, he was helping keeping me informed, and I was sharing him kind of policy goals or directions that um, I thought were possible through the International Joint Commission. And so yeah, that, was that big loss to the conservation community.
1: So I I feel like I would be remiss if I didn't um, ask you. So I had heard, so I'm putting you on the spot a little bit. I didn't give you warning that I was going to bring this up, but I heard from our dear friend, Rob and I share so many friends, Alex Bosmosky that you are not a huge fan of the term eco right which we use all the time at republic EN. our podcast is named eco right and before i give you the mic to respond i'm just going to say you know what i didn't like it at first either but i have leaned into it so i would love to hear your thoughts on what it is about the term that gave you and see if we're kind of in alignment here
2: yeah well if alex listens to this it's because alex came up with it i just had to (laughs) shoot him some grief but no, um, I, t- I, t- I talked to him uh, last week on my way to South Dakota, because um, he asked me to look at something and I said, that eco right word still grates me. <laughs> um, when I, I think I had first joined Republicans for Environmental Protection, it was early in my tenure with the organization, um, a, gen- a, a guy named Mark Van Putten, who was the former executive director of National Wildlife Federation, had left and had his own consulting firm, set up a, a call for us with a number of Western Republicans, including current Senator Cynthia Cynthia Loomis, John Turner, the former Assistant Secretary of State for Global Environmental Affairs, Bob Grady, who had been very instrumental in the Clean Water Act amendments in the first Bush presidency. Anyways, we had this group of wonderful, very thoughtful, pro-conservation Republicans from west of the Mississippi River on this call. It was more kind of a focus group. And they all were very much cheerleaders for the the mission of the organization. But they said, but you know, that that E word, that E word, I, I just can't, I, I can't connect my name to your organization because of that E word, which was environmental. And to me, eco. maybe it's my age, but it <laughs> harkens back to the early 70s, ecological movement, and I see, I I can see in my mind now that ecology symbol, the green circle with the bar, you know, the green thing through the middle, and Mm -hmm. to me, it just, the eco part just conjures up old images that I don't, I I don't feel like I fit into, so I, I promised Alex I would try to get, spend some thought on a different term, Uh, and I spent several hours in my car last weekend trying to, but I couldn't come up with anything better, so,
1: well, I um, will just note can't that- to lean into it. <laughs> well, the American Conservation Coalition, ACC, the group of, mm-hmm. you know, very young Zoomers who have come together, conservative Zoomers who've come together in support of climate action, they're, um, they aren't acc.org, they're acc.eco.eco. And so when I saw that, I sort of thought, okay, they have way leaned into the eco. You know, they're using it as a prefix, not as a a suff, no, a suffix, not a prefix. But anyway, um, I for me well, it's a nerd alert. I mean, it's a grammar thing where I feel like I don't like <laughs> words. I don't I make up words when I'm talking, but in writing I don't really like to make up words. But anyway, I've leaned into it, listeners. We are the, this is the eco right speaks. I've leaned into it for sure. <laughs>
2: Well, well, uh, you know, I I know most of the crew at the American Conservation Coalition, they're all great, great leaders. I think probably the most of them probably weren't born back to the time when I'm I'm thinking of when when eco and ecology was kind of associated with hippies and uh, the summer of love, but
1: free hugging.
2: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So anyways, I'm I'm fine with it until I find a suitable alternative and then okay. I will. Well, when
1: you find an alternative, you let me know and maybe we'll <laughs> rename <the show. laughs> It's been so fun chatting with you. One last little question I have is just if you're peering into your magic ball, so you've been doing this for a long time, where do you see things moving in terms of um, any sort of policy, federal, state level action? Um, maybe something bipartisan, maybe something durable? How do you see things playing out over the next couple of years?
2: Wow, that is a huge question. Um, I I think right now there are very significant policies on the table in committees waiting to see the light of day that I think can make a huge difference. At at Conserve America, we spent a lot of time showing polling to Republicans on the Hill that the young voters coming up care about this this issue or these issues. And if you're not acting on them, you're not gonna be in the majority and you're not gonna be in office. And groups like ACC have come along and proved that point and are, are pounding that into the people on the Hill. And I, so I think there's a, I, I think in the last, say three or four years, there has been an awakening. And I think the Republican party will lead on this. I think there will be quite a bit of bipartisanship. And I think what you, what we see now, uh, which, which is really intriguing, is the battle be, kind of between pragmatic, common-sense policies the right is working on. And today, as as you and your listeners know, there are scores of center-right conservative libertarian groups that are working on these issues. Uh, when Conservative America was founded in 1997, it was the only group. The and only so it's, it's wonderful to see this universe grow That's an indicator that things have turned and are are going to happen in the near future. But the argument now is between kind of some of the, the progressive policies that have been put out there and the more centrist common sense ones. So to me, that's amazing that we're arguing about ideas now and not arguing whether climate change is real or not, or whether clean water and clean air is important or public lands are important. We seem to be all on the same page now, or most of us or those that aren't, aren't, don't have enough power to stop progress on policy. So I, I'm I'm looking for some really good things in the next four years.
1: We, We need some victories to celebrate so we can get together and raise a glass. You bet. Well, we should do that anyway, next time you find yourself in the swamp. So let me know if you're heading this way.
2: <laughs> okay. I will <laughs> Thank do that, you so much
1: for your time and for, you know, sharing your stories and your perspective. I really appreciate it. And I always like to see you on social media listeners. Rob is really good at calling me out on some of my crazy um hobbies offline (laughs) so um, my my guilty pleasures that I engage in everything's legal of course just you know we we all have something we do that that is like you know um, it it doesn't lean into uh, the hard policy stuff that I think about during the day we all need the brain candy for the evening so with that well now
2: you you explained to me it wasn't entertainment it's research so I,
1: well, I, that is true. So, for li- listeners, we'll stop being so obscure, um, so elusive here. I am wholly admit to being a watcher of the Bachelor franchise. So, Bachelor, Bachelorette, all the shows, and I used to tweet pretty avidly about them. And Rob would <laughs> always respond to my tweets like, "What is this? Why are you wasting your time?" And I do have a novel I wrote in my free time that features one of these shows, like a a fictionalized version of one of these shows as the center point. I'm working on a different novel now, still kind of watch the show, feeling a little icky sometimes because the the contestants are more the age of my kids than they are (laughs) my age. But it is a nice distraction from everything else going on in the world.
2: Yeah, well, uh, we won't do this publicly, but we'll talk about my guilty pleasures and television watching <laughs> habits next time we're together.
1: Price, my buddy Rob Sison, so great to connect with him as we climb up toward our um, midpoint of season three.
3: Yeah, and I can't believe he doesn't like the term eco right. What's up with that? <laughs>
1: Well, once upon a time, I didn't love it either. I have come to embrace it. Uh, you might not remember some of the long drag-out arguments that Bozmoski and I had over the term, but now I have come to embrace it, so I kind of feel Rob on that.
3: Not to take the other side, but I think it's genius. I think it's fantastic. I think Alex pioneering that term is just pure perfection. I think it, I mean, it, it could not encapsulate us any better that yours and Rob's opinion withstanding. So um, you know I, I I just think I think it was perfect. And yes, I do remember all those conversations. I certainly, certainly do. Um, you know, I I remember the conversations, how you uh. spell it, the meaning, should we use it? I mean all the above. It was yeah. Yeah, but I think it's genius, and I think Alex Basmowski. Anytime that term is, used, I think you should be getting royalty checks for crying out loud, because we got especially now so many on the eco right, and the term is now kind of fully used in climate lexicon now when it comes to you know our sort of side of the aisle, if you know what I mean.
1: One hundred percent would support Alex getting uh, royalty for every <laughs> time somebody says the word. So, all right. Oh, price.
3: We've got Ask Bob Anything this week, Chelsea Henderson, and Bob is going to come up and answer this question here in just one second. But first, let me go ahead and read the question-slash-comment, and this is going to come this week from Jacqueline Miller from Riverside, Illinois. She writes, Why is there no discussion of nuclear energy, including advanced nuclear technologies and medium and small nuclear reactors on the podcast? Republicans who care about solving The climate challenge should be embracing nuclear energy technology. She goes on to say she's been a longtime listener of the podcast for over a year. Um, Points out, uh, you know, the Eco Right Speaks could do major good deed by discussing nuclear technologies on the podcast, among many other things. And that question comes once again from Jacqueline Miller from Riverside, Illinois. Here's our executive director, Bob Inglis, with his answer and comment on this week's Ask Bob Anything.
4: That's a great question, Jacqueline, and we'll take it as a helpful suggestion to have somebody on to specifically talk about the benefits of nuclear power as we seek emissionless power, which is, of course, what nuclear is. Um, We've had uh, uh, my friend Kerry Emanuel on. He's quite a noted nuclear expert at MIT, and we've had Andrew Holland on talking about fusion energy. Uh, But we're in search of somebody from the nuclear power industry who can talk to us about the benefits of nuclear power. And uh, of course, Jacqueline, you must uh, also agree, I suppose, based on your question, that yes, there are trade-offs with nuclear power, with nuclear waste being the big one. Um, But in this world where nothing's quite perfect, uh, you know, we could either burn fossil fuels and have uh, more climate change. Or we can figure out a way to do nuclear power well, particularly if we could figure out how to use this, uh, reuse the waste, um, not necessarily by, um, by uh, reprocessing it, but perhaps by new reactors that can use low amounts of radiation. That's something that's very exciting that Bill Gates was working on at TerraPower actually. Um, maybe we should get him. I'm not sure he's a little bit hard to get, but we'll find somebody great suggestion thanks jacqueline we'll We'll get on it
3: all right thanks Bob and certainly thanks Jacqueline Miller for that question. If you want to submit one of your own, please go and do that on the Apple Podcast Review, where you can scroll down, give us uh, a five-star rating, what we hope you will give us. And then right there where it has uh, the comment or whatever you want to say, instead of a comment, you can put your question and or comments right there in the Apple Podcast Review section. It really is that easy. Um, but, Chelsea, I, I know that in when, in regard to her question about nuclear Uh, technologies and discussing some of that here on the podcast. I know you have uh, been reaching out to try and find us a guest on the topic.
1: Yes, Jacqueline, I'm on it. I will just say that I have some sources and it's been on my mind on my to-do list for a while. And so you really sparked me to reinvigorate my efforts. So I do promise you a nuclear energy expert in the coming um, episodes.
3: So that is why we encourage listeners to suggest guest topics, discussion points Anything like that, if you've got ideas, you can reach out to us individually, but we would love to have you write, uh, give us a rating and then write us a review slash question on Apple Podcasts. We would love to hear from you because you are what makes this podcast, listeners, because we want to cater and bring to the topics that you want to hear. So we appreciate everybody downloading, listening, subscribing, which you can certainly do on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you get your favorite favorite podcast. Um, before we get out of here, Chelsea, some new members this week, Nicole C. in Texas, Wayne L. in Tennessee, Charles H. in West Virginia, Robin A. in Pennsylvania, Gloria P. in Florida, Republican.org forward slash join. That is where you can sign and stand with us and get um, many different things that we send out. We don't spam you, but one of the things you will get weekend review that comes from yours truly, my co-host, Chelsea Henderson. Chelsea Henderson.
1: That's right. It's really one of my favorite things that I get to do is uh, curate the best of the Right news, and it goes out every Friday in a newsletter, so you just get the highlights, and so yeah, join us. Sign up. Uh,
3: I'm doing her a disservice by calling her co-host. She is the host. I am the producer, but as we do this se- <laughs> we do this segment, it feels like we are co-hosting and, and just we're, chatting together. We're
1: brother and sister. We're brother and
3: sister. We're Right so. <laughs> brethren is what we are, but... Until next week, we appreciate uh, Rob joining us this week. Chelsea, great interview. Great work as always. And appreciate all our listeners, wherever you are, whatever time it is, wherever you are. We appreciate you downloading, listening, subscribing to the Eco Right Speaks podcast. We will be back again next week with another brand brand new episode. Until then, Chelsea, have a great week. We'll talk to you then.
1: You too, Price. See you then.
0: Thanks for listening to this week's edition of the Eco-Right Speaks podcast brought to you by the team at RepublicEN.org. Make sure to visit RepublicEN.org to learn more and find out how you can be a local Eco-Right leader.